How's everybody doing today? Good. Awesome. Move it out of the way a little bit. It's great to um, it's great to have um, all those that are here today, especially those of you that are first time guests with us. Two things that I say every week, but I believe it with all my heart, and that is this: I don't believe anybody's here by accident. I believe you're here because God brought you here. And if he brought you here, my prayer is that he has something for you. Um, Again, maybe it's something that somebody said when they greeted you. Uh, Maybe it was something that was sung. Maybe just some lyrics of a song that just touched your life. Or maybe it'll be something uh, that you'll discover as we go through the message. But I don't believe anybody's here by accident. The second thing is this. If you're visiting with us today, I really encourage you to give us the next four to six weeks because I believe that's really the only way you can really truly discover who we are as a church. Um, And so that's my encouragement to you. As I told you uh, uh, earlier, we um, are beginning a brand new series today, and I'll get into more of that in just a moment. But as we begin, how many of you remember or have ever played the game uh, and I think it was first maybe a video game, arcade game, but the game Whack-A-Mole. Anybody? Anybody remember, remember Whack-A-Mole? Uh, how many, raise your hands again if you played it. Uh, wow. Okay. How many of you were really good at it? How many of you thought it was of the devil? Yeah, ah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought, man. Whack-a-mole is this crazy game, as you can see. It's, it's where these moles pop up out of these holes, and you take this hammer, whether how big it was, I don't know, but you have to whack them down. But the problem is, every time you whack one, another one pops up. About the time you whack that one down, another one pops up. And it just keeps doing that. And they get faster, and they faster, and they faster. And then you slam harder and harder and harder. But the problem is, you can never win. At least I couldn't. It's very frustrating. And so after a while, you just kind of give up, and you hit yourself in the head with the hammer like this, you know, because you didn't know what else to do. Now, I bring that up for this reason, because whack-a-mole is a lot like life. It's a lot like life, because just about the time you've got one problem or one sin whacked down, guess what? Another one pops its ugly head up, right? It just pops up. And you whack that one down, and another one pops up. And it just feels like this never-ending cycle with no way out. And as you think about your life, ask yourself, which of these keep popping up in my life? Stress, fears, overwork, attractions that you shouldn't have, addictions, regrets, diet, worry, bad habits, anger, dishonesty. Maybe it's the need to control. How about finances or painful memories or resentment? Now, let me tell you, you can read all the self-help books you want. And you can listen to all the talk show gurus that you want until you are blue in the face. But they can never do what God, through his word and through his Holy Spirit, can do in your life. Because all those other things, all they do is they teach you how to whack faster. But they don't solve anything. But God's word will teach you how to deal with the problems and the brokenness 
and how to get a handle on the persistent sin that tends to to take us out in our life. That's why, again, I'm excited about today. Because today we're starting a brand new series called Hope for the Broken. Hope for the Broken. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but, but if I did, a lot of you would say, yeah, I'm broken. Or I've been broken, and I'm just trying to get the pieces back together. You see, the reality of life is this. All of us struggle. Every one of us. And we struggle with stress, and we struggle with fears. We struggle with overwork. We struggle with addictions, with worry, and we struggle with persistent sin. And here's the thing, not dealing with them in the right way has the potential of taking us to some very, some very, very, very dark places. And so over the next four weeks, I want to give you some hope. I want to give you some things that can help to keep us from landing in those dark spots and in those dark places. So as we begin, let's pray together. Father, I just thank you so much for this time, and I thank you for this day. I thank you for this specific opportunity that we have to begin to to deal with some things in our life that are just keeping us in that dark place. Lord, I pray for today. I pray for these next several weeks. I pray that you will anoint what we do here. And I pray more more than anything else that my words will be yours and that I will be open to whatever you have for me and whatever you want for me. And so I I thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to be honest with you. I, I struggled a lot this week with this message, and God kind of had me on a journey. You see, this is a series that I did uh, when I was up in Northern Virginia um, just a few years ago, and we did this series, and, and so I had all the material, but as I was going through this first message this week, it was just like God saying, no, no, that's not what I want for you today. That's not what I want for this week, and so I struggled, and so I uh, I was looking through some, some stuff and trying to do some study and just to see if something would hit me that I really believe God wanted me. And he brought me to um, a guy by the name of Craig Rochelle. A lot of you probably know who Craig is. But he wrote a book called Hope in the Dark. And the book deals with the book of Habakkuk. And as I begin to look at that and look at some of his material and some of his things, I'm going, Wow. That's exactly what I'm supposed to talk about. And so today is kind of a combination of of what I was able to glean from from Craig and from what I had gleaned from from my study. And it's kind of a combination that as praying over it, God just said, this is what I want for you. And so I hope it makes as much sense to you as it did to me. And because maybe God just was doing this for me, I don't know. But I hope he was doing it for you as well, because I know it touched me, and I know it spoke to my heart. So I want us to get started today, and we're going to talk a little bit about 
Habakkuk. Habakkuk. In fact, everybody say that with me. Are you ready? One, two, three. Say it again. Habakkuk. Okay. When you say it, it almost sounds like you're coughing up a furball, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of how it sounds, you know, when you Habakkuk, you know, you got that furball in your hand. But no, it's not. Habakkuk is an Old Testament minor prophet who lived and wrote about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. Now, he was a little different type of a prophet in the sense I mean, prophets normally spoke to the people on behalf of God, but Habakkuk spoke to God on behalf of the people, basically because he didn't like what God was doing. In some ways, a little bit similar to Jonah, right? He just didn't like what God was doing. Judah had been a blessed nation, but all of a sudden now, because of their corruption, because of their sin, because of their deception, instead of being prosperous, now they're hurting and now they're struggling, and now they're in poverty. So if you got your Bibles, open them up, if you can find it, in the Old Testament to the book of Habakkuk. I want to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 1. This is what it says. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. Now the word for prophecy means utterance. But it's just not any utterance. In this case, it's a dooming prophetic word. It's a burden. It's a weight. And when Habakkuk receives this, he goes right back to God. In fact, he unleashes on God on behalf of the people. Look what he says in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1. This is what it says. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Now let me tell you, if that was written today and in a newspaper or on a computer screen, you would think that came right out of our news, wouldn't you? Those words. But no, this was 600 years before Jesus was even born. And here's what I find interesting. 2,600 years ago, Habakkuk is asking the very same questions that so many people are asking today. Why doesn't God seem to play fair? Why isn't God listening to me? I mean, after all, I know he could do something about this injustice if he wanted to, but he's not, and I don't understand. I mean, that's where Habakkuk was. And a lot of you, in fact, probably most of you, you know the feeling, right? I mean, you know it. I mean, the question may be worded a little different in your mind, but the meaning is still the same. Why do I feel so broken? Why haven't you put the pieces of my life back together again? I mean, why haven't you healed my daughter, my son, my mom, my dad, my friend? Why is there so much injustice and hatred in the world? Now, here's what I love about Habakkuk, and it's this. He he is just plain raw when he comes to God. He's just plain raw. He's real. He's not afraid to let God know about the brokenness. Here's something 
really unique about Habakkuk. His name describes his journey that he's on right now. His name describes how he's dealing with God. You see, his name literally means to embrace and to wrestle. Means to embrace and to wrestle. And even though he's doing everything he can to embrace who he knows God to be, he's also wrestling with God because what he sees doesn't line up with what he believes about God. Now let me pause here for just a moment because I want to give all of us just a word of caution. And it's this. If we're not careful, we will want and we will expect God to act in our favor every time a piece of our life breaks off. You get that? If we're not careful, we will want God to act in our favor. We'll expect that every time a piece of our life breaks off. As though our life is lived out like a sitcom. Now, here's what I mean by that. What happens in a sitcom? What happens? Well, at the beginning of the sitcom, everybody's happy, right? That's usually what's happening. Everybody's happy. Then there's tension. Then there's drama. Then there's a problem. There's a challenge. And by the end of the 30-minute sitcom, including commercial breaks, every problem is resolved and the show's over. And here's the thing. Life is not a sitcom. It's not a sitcom. In life, every problem, everything, every broken piece is not resolved in 30 minutes or less. Sometimes things aren't resolved in 30 days or even 30 years. You see, in life, sometimes you lose your job and you don't get a better job. Or you get a job that's way below your education level and you feel like a failure. Sometimes you think you have a good marriage, but then your spouse betrays you and your spouse doesn't own what they did. And so they blame you for what you didn't do. And now you're alone. Sometimes in life you get sick and the doctor says you have cancer or heart disease. And in all these situations, just like Habakkuk, you find yourself wrestling with God as you also try to embrace who he is. And here's the tough part. Even though you know God is good, at that moment when you are going through it, when you're in the middle of it, your faith feels wrecked and you feel very raw. God doesn't feel good in that moment. Because in your mind, you're wondering why he's not doing more to put you back together. So you continue to feel broken and you continue to feel hopeless. And let me tell you, Habakkuk feels exactly the same way. And you got to remember, this guy's a minor prophet. He's a prophet of God, but he feels the exact same way that we do. Let me ask you this question. Because we all have to wrestle with this, and I had to. Is it okay to ever question God? Is it? Is it okay to ever question God? Is it okay to push back on God? Is that wrong? Is that unholy? Is that unfair of you? Is it? Let me tell you, I believe that the answer to that is, you bet it's okay. 
I mean, if you read through the Bible, here's some of the things you're going to find. About a third of the Psalms are cries to God about pain and suffering or are songs that are sung in the middle of trials that people don't understand. There are entire books of the Bible like Lamentations, like the book of Habakkuk, like Ecclesiastes, like Jeremiah, like Job that express confusion of what appears to be unjust suffering for the righteous. Or how about Jesus? Both in the garden as well as on the cross. I mean, Jesus wrestled with God in the garden when he said, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. He wrestled so much that he sweat blood. And then when he was on the cross, you know what he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You bet it's okay. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, at some point, you may have experienced what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief. It's where we start thinking, God, if you're so good, then why do I feel so broken? And why is this happening to me? In fact, God, do you even care? And why does this happen? Well, it happens because life is lived in a fallen world. But that doesn't mean that it's the end. It doesn't mean that there's no hope. Because I'm here today to say there's hope. There's hope. You see, what we learn from Habakkuk is this. In the middle of the pain, we have to wrestle. And as best as we can, we also have to continue to embrace our God. We wrestle, we question, we doubt, and we embrace our God. Now, does this mean that life is automatically going to be better if we wrestle and embrace? The answer to that is no, yes, maybe. I mean, at some point, some light may, may appear, but oftentimes it's a journey that you have to keep traveling or it's another chapter that God still needs to write in your life before the answers really come. Maybe that's why James wrote these words. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, Consider it a sheer gift. Look what the gift is. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Now, here's what I believe. True intimacy with God is not found on the mountaintop. You get that? True intimacy with God is not found on the, on the mountaintop. True intimacy is found as you learn how to embrace who he is and embrace his faithfulness in the valleys and in the broken times of life. That's where true intimacy is developed and formed and happens. I've heard this song before, but I heard it on the way to study uh, this morning, because I was actually sitting in Bojangles, and of course they play Christian music, 
And I don't remember all the, the lyrics, but the things that kept sticking out. And some of you that listen to Caleb, you'll know this. But as she sings, the chorus basically talks about, um, do you want the healer or the healing? Do you want the savior or the saving? Do you want the giver or do you want the giving? Here's what I've discovered. And the reason I think that hit me so much this morning is this. Because in the tough times and the broken times of life, those times when we're struggling and we don't know what to do, we want the healing before we're the the healer. We want the saving before the Savior. We want the giving before the giver. And the problem is we have it reversed, don't we? And let me tell you, you're not going to discover the healer, the Savior, and the giver on the mountaintop. You're not going to discover him there. Why? Because by the time you get there, he's already there with you. Because you've discovered him in the valley. You've discovered him through what you were going through in your life. I think that's why David could say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I can get through it because you're with me. You're with me. And I don't know about you, but this is how I want my story to read. And as we'll discover, this was Habakkuk's story as well. And so, yes, he wrestled. And yes, he embraced who God was. And God responds to him. And this is where it gets really interesting. Because it's not quite the response that Habakkuk was looking for. But look at verse 5. This is what it says. Look at the nations and watch and be uttered. This is God's. Speaking to to Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if I told, even if you were told. Now let's stop there. Because when Habakkuk heard this, he had to be thinking, God, finally, God, finally, you're going to do what's right. Finally, you're going to to relieve this pain, this suffering. We're going to be prosperous again. You're going to bless us. You're going to be the giving God. And we'll be amazed at what you do. But before Habakkuk could get that hopeful, God tells him this in verses 6 to 7. Look at what it says. I'm raising up the Babylonians. Uh Uh-oh. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Wow. If you don't know who the Babylonians are, they're the bad guys. They're the bad guys. They're the enemy. And God is saying, I'm raising up your enemies, the Babylonians. And if you think it's bad now, it's going to get worse. And I'm going to use your enemies to bring justice because of the sin of my people. And in Habakkuk's mind, this makes absolutely no sense. So let me ask you, what do you do 
when you find yourself in that place where what God has just revealed to you makes absolutely no sense. What do you do? What does a committed believer do? Well, instead of getting frustrated, instead of getting fearful, instead of getting angry, instead of getting mad at God, instead of losing hope, I believe we need to do what Habakkuk does. And that is we wrestle with the questions, the honest questions and the doubt while we do all we can to embrace a genuine faith in God. And again, that's exactly what Habakkuk does. In fact, look at verse, starting verse 12. This is interesting. This is interesting. Look what it says. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You know what he's doing here? He's embracing God. He's embracing. And then look at the next part. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have a, you've ordained them to punish. You know what he's doing now? He's wrestling. Now look at the next part. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. He's embracing again. Then look at the next. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? He's wrestling again. Embrace, wrestle, embrace, wrestle. That's what he's doing. Now listen to what I'm about to say. Because this is extremely important to understand. This is something I had to wrestle with this week. And it's this. If you are right there, right where Habakkuk was, broken, the pieces of your life have fallen apart. Maybe not a lot, maybe just a little, but you are broken. What I want you to know is this, and understand God knows your pain. He understands your pain. He knows exactly where you are at. He welcomes your questions. And I am totally convinced that God would rather have you yell at him when you are frustrated and don't understand than to have you walk away from him. Now, that's me personally. But I believe God would rather have you yell at him when you are frustrated and when you don't understand and when you have questions rather than have you walk away from him. Because if you walk away, he has a harder time dealing with you. But at least if you yell at him and you question him and you embrace him while you're doing it, he can deal with you. And he can work with you and he can help you. So here's the principle you need to understand. It's this, when you hit the wall, when you hit the crisis of belief, when you feel broken and frustrated, don't deny your doubts. Don't deny the questions. Don't run from God. Let those things drive you to continue to embrace him even while you continue to wrestle with him. Let me tell you, I've been there more times than I care to admit over the last 40 years of marriage and 40 years of ministry. I've been there. And even though sometimes it was a short journey, I'll be quite honest with you. Most of the time, the journey was a lot longer than I would have liked. And it not only tested this principle that I just gave you, but it also confirmed the words of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. It confirmed it. 
Because I knew no matter how broken I might have gotten, no matter how tough life might have been, no matter what it looked like on the outside and what I felt on the inside, God was right there with me, walking right with me. And he was taking me through it. And if he was carrying me through it, I was going to come out on the other side. So where do we begin? Where do we begin? Well, here's where I believe it starts. It starts by honestly and humbly acknowledging our brokenness. By acknowledging our brokenness, acknowledging our doubts and our need for God. I believe this is the first step toward building a deeper faith and for finding hope. Here's the reality that we don't like to admit. We are all broken people. We are. I mean, that's just the reality of life. We're all broken people. And I, I don't care who you are, we all doubt at times. And we all question at times. And we, we always have and we always will do that. We've been broken by the sins we've done and by the sins done to us. We've been broken by the choices we've made and by the circumstances of life. But the good news is this. Your brokenness can be healed. That's the good news. Your brokenness can be healed. But here's the bad news. Your pride is getting in the way and keeping you from getting the healing you need. That's why I said you have to honestly and humbly acknowledge your brokenness, your doubts, and your need from God. So what do you do? You replace your pride with humility. In other words, you, you've got to humble yourself before God. You've got to swallow your pride and admit the truth of your brokenness. Somebody once said, you'll never defeat that which you don't admit. That's true, isn't it? You'll never defeat that which you don't admit. James put it like this in James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. As I thought about this this week and as I was reading through Craig's stuff, this is what hit me. This is an aspect of grace that you may not have thought of before. And it's this. Grace is the power you need to change. Grace is the power you need to change. Let me be honest with you. Change is not going to happen by willpower alone. I mean, after all, how many diets have you stopped, started and stopped? How many exercise programs have you started and stopped? You see, willpower alone doesn't, does not work. What you need is the grace of God. And how do you get grace? James says, God gives grace to the humble. You humble yourself before God. So if you want God's power to change, it starts, starts by getting rid of that prideful attitude that just keeps you in the dark places. And in humility, you admit that you're, that you're broken and that you doubt and that you need God's help. Because as long as you try to do it on your own, that's pride, and you'll never get anywhere. But when you can humble yourself and admit you need God's help, that's when He can help you. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's why I felt I needed to start with this this morning. Because the book of Habakkuk is only three, 
three chapters, but it reminds us that pride will always keep us broken and questioning whether God is really there. But humility will allow us to live out our faith in spite of the brokenness because we'll discover, get this, that no place is too dark, no wall is too thick for God's grace to penetrate in a powerful, life-affirming way. No place is too dark. No wall is too thick for God's grace to penetrate and change you. Now, Habakkuk wasn't the only one in the Bible that struggled with this. Did you know that at one point, Paul said that he was so depressed, so discouraged, that he thought his life was over? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. Ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. But Paul didn't stop there. Because verse 9 goes on and says this, As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength, our wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea since he's the God who raises the dead. Let me tell you, until you stop trusting in what you think and what you can do, and you start trusting in what God can do, you'll remain in the dark places of life, wondering if you'll ever have hope. Here's the thing. If God can resurrect the dead, get this, He can resurrect a dead marriage. He can resurrect a dead career. He can resurrect a dead dream. God's a master at bringing good out of bad. So from a humble heart, admit your brokenness. Admit your doubts and admit that you need God's help. Let's reflect. So as we think about Habakkuk, this dialogue that he's having with God continues into chapter 2. And in chapter 2, God begins to reveal his plan, his ultimate plan for those not only who remain faithful, but what's going to happen even to those he uses to, to come in, the Babylonians. And as you come into this final chapter, chapter 3, Habakkuk cries out in a psalm and he expresses his ultimate faith in God, even if he doesn't fully understand it. I love these words in Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. Look what it says. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Look at this. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Wow. Even if everything's lost. Even if everything's gone. Even if the brokenness has literally got me wasted away, yet I will praise Him. I'll praise Him. 
He is my strength. Let me tell you, your story, your story that God is writing, it's also more than one chapter. It's not just one chapter. And for some of you, you may be at the end of chapter one, and as you look ahead and begin seeing things, chapter two is not looking much better, right? But I can't stress this hard enough. Don't walk away from God in chapter one or chapter two of your life. Continue to wrestle and continue to embrace until hope is restored. Because God's not through writing the chapters of your life. And if you stop in chapter one and two, you're missing out on three, four, five, six, and seven, the things that God wants to do in your life as he brings hope back in. So as we close, I want you to wrestle with some questions today. First is simply this. What if embracing your doubts opens the door for discovering more of God's character? What if just embracing your doubts, what if it opens the door for discovering more of who God is? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that make it worth it? How about this question? What if drawing closer to God, developing genuine intimacy intimacy with him requires you to bear something that feels unbearable, to trust him in those moments that you don't understand, to embrace his strength when you're the weakest? Would Would it be worth it? Would it be worth it to you to be able to embrace his strength when you're the weakest, even though you're going through these things? Wouldn't it be work, worth it as you draw close to him? How about this? What if it takes real pain to experience deep and abiding hope? Would it be worth it? I think it would. And as you answer those questions in those moments, you will be able to say like Habakkuk, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Wow. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for this day. And God, this isn't easy to hear because it's tough. It is tough stuff. I mean, brokenness is something we all face, and... It's not something that we always deal with the best. But God, help us. Help us to learn that principle to wrestle and embrace. To even in the midst of our doubting and questioning, we still embrace who he is. And and we allow him to walk with us through those valleys so that we can discover the healer. We can discover the savior and we can discover the giver. Help us, Lord, to do that. And so God, I thank you for what you're going to do through this. And I thank you for what these next three to four weeks can bring. And we give it to you, God. And we just ask you to pour out your spirit upon these messages. And may you speak to our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen.